Good morning, church. My name is Alan Fry. My wife and I were sent out as missionaries to Peru, South America from Central Baptist Church in 1981. Central actually um, started Bethel many years ago. Bethel Church has been a ministry partner of ours since 1982, and uh, so now we're back home again. We have great memories of this place. Uh, we were married in the um, fellowship in the gym down there on the free throw line. So that was that tells you how long how long ago that was for us. But it's good to be back home again. I've been asked this morning to share um, about the theology of work. And theology, as we think about it, always begins with God, and that's certainly true as we think about work or our labor. The average person will spend roughly a third of their life, some 90,000 hours, in work. Makes me tired just thinking about that. Um, this weekend, we officially celebrate the Labor Day holiday. Ironically enough, it's a day of no work, but it's a day that was established by President Grover Cleveland back in 1894 when he declared or signed into law the first Monday of September being Labor Day, a day set aside as a holiday for workers. The Bible story opens up with the God of all creation doing work. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking at especially the first couple of chapters in the book of Genesis today. And um, as we see God in those beginning chapters, we note that he is portrayed as a very caring, efficient uh, worker, a very organized worker. His work provides for us. It blesses us. It meets our needs. It's our source of life. So we're going to examine today together a biblical view of work. And we're going, to use it by, we're going to do it by using an acrostic of the word work, W-O-R-K. And so we'll start with the W, the work of God. And note that God is the divine worker. Let's start, please, in looking at Genesis chapter 2 and reading together verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Right there at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, we find that God's creation referred to, is referred to as work. We read in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first worker that we see in the history of the world was God himself, the world was, in the beginning of time, created by this being of infinite wisdom and power who was himself before all time and before, before all worlds. But when God speaks, something happens. And so we find the account of creation given to us there in Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2 as well. Let's go back to the very beginning, the first verse of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. We read there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right away we find that God is a working God. God created for six days. He worked for six days. And on the seventh day he rested. And so as we look at God's work, we consider God's work as a good work. As we read the account of creation, we see first of all that God brought order out of chaos. The first couple of verses, if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the places of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so out of the disorder, out of the chaos, God brought order out of that chaos. 
It's interesting that Paul uh, would refer to the Corinthian church, a church that was very disorderly at times and in chaos. He said to them, but, in all, th- but all things should be done decently and in order. Our culture doesn't always value this function of orderliness in the chaos that we live in today. Secondly, God took steps that were organized and systematic. We see that in the creation narrative because it is a progression of creation. Man wasn't created on the first day because man needs light, man needs water, man needs land. All of the things that were in successive creation made for him. And even plant life needs the water, needs the light. And so the the organization, the systematic way in which that God worked creation, uh, we need to perhaps follow similarly in our work today to do things in a systematic and organized way. And then God took time to evaluate his work and to find satisfaction in his work. As he looked back on his work, and we're going to see this in just a few moments, we're going to see that God looked back on his work and he gave an evaluation of what he had done. And then God rested from his work. We're going to see that in chapter 2 as well. So God's work, it was a good work. That's just the W. Let's continue on. And the second letter is O. And so we think about our work, the work that we do. God created his image bearers to follow his example of work. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. We read there, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made us in his image and in his likeness as part of our creation mandate. He gave man the mandate to work. We are to subdue the earth and and to exercise dominion over it. A result of our being made in the image of God is that we are by nature rulers and governors. The world is to be cared for. The world is to be ruled in such a way that gives glory to the creator. Man was given the privilege to work as part of God's blessing. Look at verse 28 again. And the very beginning of the verse says, And God blessed them and said, Have dominion and subdue. He blessed them as he gave them work. It's a blessing to be able to work. Work in and of itself is not evil. It's not a punishment. Rather, it is an exalted, godlike activity. He exemplified work for us in his creation and asked us to follow that in the mandate that he has given us to work. If Adam and Eve would have never sinned, they still would have had work to do in the Garden of Eden. Work is an integral part of us as human beings. And it's the reason why we exist, as we exist to bring glory to God by what we do. We do bring glory to God in how we work, in how we respond to God's mandate for us. And our good works have the purpose of pointing others to give glory to our God. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And as a result, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. James Hamilton wrote a book 
work and our labor in the Lord. And he says it in this way. By charging humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, having dominion over all creatures, God was commanding his image bearers, the visible representation of the authority and character of the invisible God, to cover the dry lands with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. Humanity's task is to work in such a way that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, the name of the Lord is praised. The goodness of God is savored, and the character of God is known and exalted. God created man to work, but sin has made fallen work difficult. What Jesus accomplished on the cross redeems and frees people to once again work for God's glory. As we think of the effect of man's sin on God's mandate for man to work, at the outset we must note that sin, that, that work, is not a result of sin. As we already stated, had Adam and Eve never sinned in the garden, they still would have been working. Granted, I would have preferred to work in the Garden of Eden instead of my own garden. <laughs> Growing up in a family of 13 children, we always had a huge garden, and we kids worked the garden. And mom canned and, and put up all the food, all the produce that we worked on all through the summer. And um, it was uh, hard work. But it was rewarding when in the middle of winter you could partake of some of that harvest that was stored up. God moved Diane and I and our boys, uh, Diane and me and our boys, to uh, Lima, Peru in 1984. Now, Lima is located on the Pacific coast of South America, and it's right at the northern tip of the Atacama Desert, the driest desert in the world. They say even drier than the Sahara. And so anything that's green in Lima has to be watered. And so we didn't have a garden. But in Peru, year-round fresh produce was brought to Lima from the Andes Mountains and the Amazon jungle, so there really wasn't a need for a garden. Here's a picture of um, some of just the 600 different kinds of fruits that are found. Oh, there's supposed to be. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, uh, of 600 different fruits that are found in Peru. And then they say there, there are over 3,000 different kinds of potatoes. I think I probably only tasted 10 of those, but um, tremendous variety there. But after living in uh, Lima, Peru with no garden for 38 years there, um, I planted a garden this year. But you know, I have to weed it, and I have to hoe it, and I have to rake it. I know it's supposed to be good for me, a form of exercise or something, uh, but I think I would have liked working in the Garden of Eden before sin a lot better. Sin made work difficult and frustrating for man. Look at chapter 3, if you would, with me. Chapter 3, verses 17 through 19 of Genesis. It says, And to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Everything changed at the fall of man. God's judgment is now that work is going to be painful and the environment cursed. Man would have to work hard and was going to sweat. Thorns and thistles and weeds are going to grow. But the biggest change by far was that man's relationship with his creator God was broken. 
Man, uh, Adam and Eve experienced a sweet fellowship with God as they communed with him, walking with him in the coolness of the Garden of Eden, and then sin. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We too sin, and with our sin comes payment for that sin, which God determines to be death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. A lamb had to die so that his skin, its skin could provide a covering for Adam and Eve there at the garden. We need a savior. Jesus, the lamb of God, came into this world, lived a sinless life, went to the cross as our substitute, died and was buried and rose again for us. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we in him might be made, become the righteousness of God. Now because of sin, man selfishly works at times for his own glory and his own ends, no longer existing uh, in his work to give glory to God. We've seen that God modeled and gave good work to man. But sin made work frustrating and difficult. However, hope remains. Because work, though difficult, continues to point beyond itself to its creator, to God's character. The fact that men and women are allowed to continue in their work means that they still have the job of making the ways of God known in this world. And then the R, the work of God, our work. Let's think about rest from work. And as we think about rest, we note God's review of his work. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and, and that last verse, verse 31 of chapter 1, Genesis 1:31. God saw everything that he had made. We'll stop there just for a moment. He still does. All the works of his hands are under his eyes. He who made all sees all. He who made us sees us. That's an encouragement to me, to know that no matter where I go, the God who cares if a sparrow falls cares so much more for me. He sees me, and he meets my needs where I am. Acts 15, 18 says, Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. He sees us. God saw everything that he had made. God here sets an example for us in reviewing our works. When we finish the day's work and go to bed, we should commune within our own hearts about what we have done that day, how we've done our work, and perhaps say, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? When we come to the end of a week of work and we prepare ourselves to come on the Sabbath day to meet together to worship God, are we examining ourselves, are we reflecting as we prepare to meet our God? And when we're finished with our life's work and we're going to enter in our eternal rest, may we hear those words from our Savior, from our Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we work for, for his glory, for his praise. And we continue in the verse and we see God's satisfaction with his, his work. God saw everything that he made. It says, and behold, it was very good. When we come to review our work sometimes, uh, I've been a teacher and reviewed a lot of work, <laughs> put a lot of grades on paper, sometimes with red ink rather than, uh, you know, a, a good grade perhaps. 
when we review our work, it's not always good work. We can't always say the same thing that God said about his creation, about his work. It was very good. When God reviewed his work, it was very, very good. The work of creation was a good work. As you you look through chapter 1 and and you see the account of the different days of creation, at the end of the day it says it was very good and the evening and the morning were the next day. And and so it goes through the week of creation. It was good. But we come to to the end of creation. Man as well is now created. And God looks at his work as he examines it. It was very good. The work of creation was a good work. The work that God did was well done, well made. There was no flaw, no defect in the work that God had made. It was good. And it's all for his glory. And it was very good. Now man was made. He was designed to be the visible image of the invisible creator God. He was to be the the portrayer of God's glory. The mouth of creation in expressing praises to the creator God. Every part was good, but altogether... With this crowning glory of creation, the man made in God's image and likeness, he declares it very good. Very good with its glory, with its goodness, with its beauty, with its harmony. And then God, as he completed his work, entered into rest. It says in the evening and the morning at the end of verse 31 there, the evening and the morning was the sixth day. Now, in six days, God made the world. God could have made the world in an instant. He did it on the days of creation. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He could have said, let there be a world, and there was a world instantly, in the twinkling of an eye, so to speak. But he did it in six days. He did it that he might show himself a free agent, as it were, doing his own work, both in his own way and in his own time. In this way, he also set us an example of working six days and resting the seventh. God didn't rest as a tired person. We look forward to the weekend sometimes because we're tired and we want to rest in that way. But God didn't rest because of being tired of the work that he had done. But he rested as one being well pleased, looking at the work that he had done, looking at the goodness of his own hand and the manifestations of his glory in his creation. Genesis 2.2 says, And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. The rhythm of work and rest is rooted in the model of God. Too much of either will not work. (laughs) No pun intended there. But we need to have that same balance that God has created. Too much of either will not function in our lives. From the beginning, God created this balance. And then we come to the letter K. And we think about the king of our work, Jesus. And the fact that our work is all for his glory. We just had, uh, because of him, uh, Sunday. And it's all for him and for his glory. And even our work is to be for his glory. We think of God's completed work in our salvation the salvation of fallen mankind, what God has done in the cross, and how that Jesus' death provides the necessary means for a holy God to forgive our sins, for us to have a relationship again with him. And that relationship comes when we trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as a substitute for our sin. He is our Savior. And when we 
realize that one of the results of our, our salvation is the fact that that work is done in us, a spiritual work with a view toward his pleasure, toward his glory. Our labor, in effect, is redeemed and God takes pleasure in our work. Our work is to delight the Father, to bring glory to Jesus by the way we work and why we work. Every single day when we go off to our places of employment or work in the divine calling of the home, every day is a day to hear, well done, my child, to feel his pleasure. And so as we bring our thoughts briefly to a close this morning, how can we work for our king's glory? How is it that we, finite creatures, can work for our king's glory? Paul said to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So a couple of things to consider this morning. First, first of all, work with the right work ethic. The verse says, whatever you do, do heartily. I've seen a lot of the road crews as you drive by, and you wonder, is any work getting done on this road? Because it seems like so many people are, are resting on their shovels, and, or not even a shovel, just resting. <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, you think, you think about our work. How, how do we approach our work? Are we lazily in that way approaching our work? How can we give glory to God by the way that we do our work if we work in such a way? Work with the right work ethic. Work heartily. The work that I do is for the glory of God. Secondly, work for the right person. It says, whatever you do, do heartily as for the Lord. Work for Jesus. As you view your work as a divinely appointed task, you glorify God by your heart attitude. Don't think that you only work for money. Don't think, I hate this job. You're doing it for Jesus. Look for redeeming qualities in your work. Work joyfully to please the Savior. And then thirdly, work for the right reward. It says, as for the Lord and not for men. The applause of heaven, eternal inheritance. If you believe in Jesus as your personal Savior, God will help you to continually grow and change into the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As you contemplate God's work, our work, rest, remember it is all for the glory of the King. It's all about Him. Now let's continue our praise to the God who gave us a meaningful way to create and contribute into the world that He has made. Continue to learn about how we can work in the light of of his grace.